Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Layman Strauss, uh, a famous Bible commentator, he spoke of John Paul XXIII, who reigned from October 28, 1958 to June 3, 1963. This is really interesting. He says, Since the late Pope John ascended the papal throne, there has been a growing movement towards the merging of all religions into a world church. This has been uh, in the the works for many hundreds of years. It has been in the works for a long time. Today on our program, Pastor Rob reviews the development of the false religious system, tendencies for Roman Catholicism's ultimate partnership with a one-world religion were evident in Pope John Paul II's bizarre involvement with and approval of anti-Christian religions. In addressing a prayer gathering of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and others, Pope John Paul II told participants that their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. The Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligious cooperation. Here's Pastor Rob. And is not, and yet is. Now remember, the beast is actually means more than just one thing. The beast, we know, is the satanic power behind the Antichrist. We know that. It also means the Antichrist himself, the man who is over this revived Roman Empire. And the, the revived Roman Empire itself is called the beast. And so when you, when you think of the beast, think of all those things together. It's, it's almost like you can't separate the man from the thing that he rules over. Does that make sense? It's sort of like the apostate church when it, call, when it talks about the woman. And we'll look at this uh, at the end of the chapter if we get there today, I hope we can. Um, The woman is associated with this city that reigns over the kings of the earth, which we believe is Rome. And so, and notice that it speaks of him who was and is not and yet is. I believe this speaks to them, not only the beast himself, because we know that he he, he will be alive, and then he will have an assassination attempt, and then he will rise from the dead and be indwelt by Satan, and then he will continue. But we also know that the Roman Empire was very similar. It was, and yet is not. It's it was dissolved really in 476 A.D. That's when the when the Roman or Roman uh, uh, Empire collapsed. Really, the western part of it in 476. But yet, it's going to be revived again after the church is removed. So it was, and was not, and then is. So the beast and his 
government is going to be a mystery. And that's literally what I believe that means. So there is a oneness between the man and the government that he rules over. In the book of life, we know that in, uh, in Exodus chapter 32, after the stint that the children of Israel had with the golden calf, remember when Moses came down from the mountain and they were worshiping the golden calf? And Moses intercedes for them, and he says, I pray for them, forgive their sin, and if not, wipe out, erase me, I pray thee, out of, the, your, book of, of, out of your book, which you have written. We see the book of life also in the last, or the second to the, actually it's, let me just say Revelation chapter 20. In verse 15, at the very last judgment, the white throne judgment, what does it say? And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a book of life. And I believe that every person is written in the book of life until they take their last breath. And depending on what they've done with Christ, that name either remains in the book or it gets blotted out. And why is it that way? Because God loves people. He doesn't bring you as a baby. He doesn't allow you to be conceived in the womb, knowing from eternity past that you were going to come to pass, that you were going to be born. He's already written your name in the book before you were born. Didn't he say to Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that scary? Check out Psalm 139 and talks about God's omniscience, his omnipresence. He knows. But this book of life, God is so patient with people. He writes your name in, I believe even before conception. And your name is there until you take your last breath on this earth. And then whatever it is that we've done with Christ during that time that we've lived, from the time of conception until our last breath, that determines where we spend in eternity. And that's, that's a really wonderful grace, if you think. It's the scariest thing I've ever known. But that's the way it is. Notice in verse 9, Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Now this is a really interesting couple of verses. And there's been much debate on what this phrase, Here is the mind that has wisdom, means. Much debate about it. But verse 9 and 10 are either speaking about the same thing or they're speaking about two different things, although they are very similar. Notice in verse 9, it says the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And then, you know, in verse 10, it says, and, these, and there are also seven kings. So this has a double meaning. It's uh, seven heads and it also are seven um, hills on which the woman sits. And it's also re- referring to kings. So these, this idea of mountains can represent kingdoms or empires. And it often does in the Bible. There's plenty of scriptures that uh, corroborate that. It could also represent the physical location or of the center for the woman, which I believe is Rome, who is the end-time apostate church. And Rome has always been known as the city of seven hills. Always. Without question. The city on seven hills. So this apostate church, we believe, is going to be centered in Rome And again, it won't just be Roman Catholicism. It will be apostate, Protestantism, New Age, everything. Because once the church is removed, believe me, there's going to be no witness on the earth. Anything goes. Everyone will finally be able to have a big bonfire and enjoy, you know, the light. (laughs) Whatever that is. (laughs) 
<laughs> Embrace the light. Find the light within. Oh, there it is. I found it. Nonsense. Jesus is the light. Right? The city on seven hills. Rome has been famously known as that. The Roman poet uh, Propertius spoke of it as the lofty city on seven peaks which rules the world. Ancient Roman coins show Titus Vespasian seated on seven hills. The Roman Catholic Church itself in the confraternity edition of the New Testament, they actually, cl- they actually claim that Rome is Babylon. Themselves, they claim that Rome is Babylon. Now I'm not saying that the Rome that we're uh, the, the Roman chapter 17, I believe, is Rome, or Babylon. I believe that it, it, it's, it's, it's speaking about the, the foundation of it going back to Babylon, a real Babylon that we read about. But I also believe that the, the foundation of that will be in Rome. Rome. In fact, the seven hills of Rome are listed here. I'm not even going to try and pronounce these. I'll let you look at them. But there are seven different hills, and we can actually see a map of what that looks like along the Tiber River. You can see the the different uh, hills that are on Rome. It's been called, Rome has been and will more likely be the center again of that harlot church. Layman Strauss, uh, a famous Bible commentator, he spoke of John Paul XXIII, who reigned from October 28, 1958 to June 3, 1963, This is really interesting. He says, Since the late Pope John ascended the papal throne, there has been a growing movement towards the merging of all religions into a world church. This has been uh, in the the works for many hundreds of years. It has been in the works for a long time. For a long time. He goes on and he says, Pope John, this, this Pope John specifically had a desire for a one world government and a one world church. He called two councils for the express purpose of setting the wheels in motion toward the forming of the ecumenical church. Ecumenism is not necessarily good, because that means that we throw away doctrine for the sake of unity. Never do that, even if you are a small remnant. Don't worry about if you're not a big church. God is not concerned about a big church. He's concerned about a holy church. It doesn't matter how many people are in that church. If there are 10 people who really love him with all their heart, he's more excited about that than a room filled with 10,000 people who are just doing anything they want. He loves those people, don't get me wrong, but he really loves the fact that these 10, and he looks at them and he goes, oh, you're my beloved. And he wants those other 10,000 to know him just like those 10 do. Does that make sense? So never get concerned about numbers. God could care less about numbers. He could care less about size. That's why I don't care about how big our fellowship is or isn't. It's more important that we know the truth. It's more important that we love Christ. It's more important that we worship him. Amen? And that we follow the word of God. I mean, why would you go to church for any other reason? To eat? To fellowship? To gossip? To be entertained by the worship team? By the way, they did an awesome job this morning. Fantastic job. No, you come to church to worship him and encourage each other, right? That's what we're here for. The Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church have consistently over the years caved in on issues that the Bible speaks clearly about. There is and was a, actually a great push to make the Virgin Mary co-redemptrix with Jesus. You know what that means? means she's equal with Christ. 
Because of the immaculate conception, conception dogma that they hold to, which believes that she was perfect before and after and during conception of Jesus, and therefore she is equal with him. There are portions of the Roman Catholic Church, a large portion, that want that. They want it in their dogma. They want it in their writings. They want to be, because the woman, I mean, who, who doesn't love a nurturing mother after all? But where does it stem? Babylon. Where does it come from? Babylon. In a New York Times article on December 23rd of the year 2000, there was a title says, Seeking a Promotion for the Virgin Mary. And this gentleman, who is his name is Mark Miravale. He's a professor at the Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. He said, Pope John Paul II has made no secret of his devotion to Mary. Totus tuus, which in Latin means totally yours, is his motto in which he dedicates his papacy to her. He has used the phrase co-redemptrix six times in the papacy to, to describe Mary, which has led petitioners to hope that during the lifetime, during his lifetime, he will proclaim her as co-redeemer. Mr. Miraval has visited privately with the Pope several times, but he would not say what was discussed during the meetings. All I can tell you, he says, is that I am personally confident that the Holy Father will make his solemn definition of the mother of Jesus at the most appropriate time. It's not a question of if, it's only a question of when. So you can see this harlot church is already in place. And you know what? They don't like when I say that. But you know what? I'm not the only one. Going back hundreds of years, these things have been true. The evidence is overwhelming, just like the suitcases full of ballots that are coming out of the, uh, underneath the tables in Georgia. <laughs> and we got video now. It's not over, folks. Verse 10, there are also seven kings, five have fallen. One is and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking we should probably hold off until next week to finish this. I really wanted to get through this, but there's so much um, there's so much here that I think is important for us in the day that we're living in to kind of see, to unpack this, and to look at it for what it's worth. But I want you to, to be encouraged. And again, don't, you know, I remember when I read the book, um, A Woman Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt. I read the book, and frankly, I was angry. I got angry. And I was younger as a Christian than too, more or less mature, hopefully, than I am today. But I remember reading that book and getting angry because I realized, how is it that this system has deceived so many people? So many people that really, I believe, love God, really love Him, and really want to know Him. And yet, because of tradition, because of family pressures, peer pressure within the family, and it is this way, you know it if you've been involved in it, and maybe you've come out from, from among it, and you've been castigated. Your whole family has kind of written you off. You're dead to us. Have you heard that? I've talked to some people who have come out of Catholicism, have come to be born again, and they, they, I mean, they're, they're totally on fire, totally excited, and their family says, you're dead to us. We don't want to see you again. And it's like, Really? 
for just doing what the Bible has told us to do and to believing what Jesus, who he is and what he said, shouldn't they be doing the same thing? They should be. So why aren't they? Tradition. 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 Tradition can be a horrible thing. I would rather be faithful to the word of God than follow my tradition. They need to follow Christ and put out their traditions. Traditions even of the church. You know, we have traditions. And they're not necessarily bad. We have a tradition that on Christmas Eve, every year, we gather together and have a Christmas Eve service. Some churches don't do that, and that's okay. I mean, it's kind of nice to be home and in your slippers with your hot cider in front of the fire. You know, some of that sliced summer sausage and cheese. And those townhouse crackers. You know, the butter ones that are shaped like an oval? They're really good on that. Who doesn't want? You know, we get together and we worship the Lord that, the night before, and it's great. That's our tradition. Is that a bad thing? No. Does it go against anything written in the Word of God? No, it doesn't. That's our tradition. It's okay that somebody, some churches don't. It's no problem. They have their traditions that are good. But if, if they're biblical, praise the Lord. But if they're not biblical, you have to ask yourself, what has more authority, the Pope or a dogma or the Word of God? And this is where it has to end. It has to end with the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Do you believe it? Because why would I want to hold to something that's not in here? Especially if it's going to draw me away into something else. If I believe that by being baptized as a baby, that's going to get me to heaven no matter how I live for the rest of my life. I can live like hell for, you know, the moment I'm conceived in the womb and I come out and I can live like a total devil and and expect, well, I was baptized, sorry, at St. Christopher's. Going to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. Will you find an infant baptism in the Bible? You won't find it anywhere. You will not find it anywhere. We find anywhere the adoration of Mary. When the very last words that are recorded in the scripture of her, she says, whatever my son, it's recorded in John chapter 3, whatever my son says, do that. That's the last we hear of Mary. And who is she pointing to? Her son, Jesus Christ. Is she going, well, you know, he's kind of temperamental. You know, since he's grown up, he's gotten quite rebellious. But, you know, if you come to me, I can somehow go, you know, son, you should really be a little more lenient. I mean, after all, you're not very sensitive. You're not very politically correct. So you're not very woke. You know, so it's never about Mary. It was never about Mary. Mary worshipped her son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel. Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of his government there shall be no end. This son whom the Bible is foretold 700 years before he was even born. Behold, I'll give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. A very specific woman in time. Her name is Mary. And bear a son. It's biblical. 
Anything that is not biblical, we must reject. Even at the peril of losing friends. You know, you can still be loving and kind. And we ought to be, right? The church of Jesus Christ should be loving and kind. But when it comes to truth, you better be dogma. You better stand on it and do not budge. You can lovingly, you can be lovingly stubborn, and that's what I am. I think. Hopefully, I'm loving, but I can be stubborn, and I think it's good to be stubborn in the truth of God. Be lovingly stubborn. Do not let anyone take you off of that path, that narrow path. Wide is the gate. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And few there are that find their way on that. Are you on the narrow path this morning? I want to encourage you, if, if any of this makes sense to you this morning, if, if, there are any, if there's anyone here in the room that has not given their heart to the Lord, come on down. After we pray, come on down. You don't need to come down, but come on down and pray. Receive the Lord. Rededicate your heart to him. Rededicate your heart to the word of God. Nothing else. Get your compass centered on him again. Nothing else. Can we do that? I need to do that. Because I find that everything in the world is trying to get me off that path. Do you feel the same way? Everything is trying to get me to walk crooked. It's trying to get me to compromise and do this and do that. And it's all around us. We're inundated Inundated by it. Folks, you stay tenaciously like a... Can I just say something? Have you seen... There's a wonderful thing about a pit bull. You can hold up a piece of meat on a hook. And that pit bull will jump up and grab that meat and he will lock his jaws. They can lock their jaws on it. And it's going to take a while for you to get the, the, the mouth off that meat. That dog can lock its jaws, and, and it's going to take death of the dog to get it undone, if he chooses. You can beat the dog. I mean, I've never done this. I wouldn't encourage it. No, no, heart, no dog was hurt in this commercial. I wouldn't encourage that, but they can hold on. They lock their jaw. That's the way you and I need to be with the truth of Jesus Christ, with the truth of the Word of God. Lock onto it, and don't let anybody take you off of it. Amen? Stand together. We'll finish this chapter next week. Um, it really is an important chapter. I really didn't plan on spending three weeks in this one, but there is a lot here, and I think it's worth looking at. And so, Father, we just come before you, and we thank you, Lord, for the exhortation in your word. Father, we thank you for the warnings that are in your word. And, Father, we pray that every one of us would get our focus on you, and that, Lord, there'd be nothing on this world Lord, that would keep us from staying focused on you. Lord, help us to keep you the main thing, especially the season that we come upon, Father, which is a really wonderful season, giving and, and, and the joy and, Lord, spending time with family. All these things are good, God, but help us to keep our understanding of what it's really all about, that Jesus is the reason for the season. Help us to remember that, Lord. And help us in the time that we have remaining on this earth to love. To, Lord, not go on the attack. But sometimes telling the truth is the greatest love. The truth is love. But help us to do it with the right hearts. And, Lord, have your way with us, Lord. Keep us on the straight and narrow. Keep us from swerving off the path, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.